Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Limitless Outdoors podcast. My name is Joshua, and I am the creative director for Limitless Outdoors. This week, Justin and the crew are in Alaska hunting for the upcoming Limitless season. In the meantime, we will be listening to a message Justin prepared on the invitation Jesus has to us into relationship as opposed to religion. If you haven't already, be sure to visit the website LimitlessHunting.com and click on the link in the upper right-hand corner to request your free discipleship resource, The First Mile. Now grab your Bibles and enjoy this week's podcast. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some Bibles, I think. If you don't have that, you can download the YouVersion app on your phone. It's absolutely free, uh, and it's a great resource. I find myself looking at the YouVersion all the time. Matthew chapter 11, as I shared with the kids, we are continuing on with the invitations of Jesus. The invitations of Jesus. Jesus, as we looked at in Matthew chapter 4, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, Jesus says, I have a radical different future for you. I'm going to make you into something radically different if you will follow me. And immediately, Simon drops his nets, leaves everything that he had ever worked for, left the family business and everything, and followed Jesus. Last week, we looked at the, the kind of the cost of discipleship, the fact that it's not all pie in the sky, that there's hardship that comes along, right? People are saying, oh, gee, they see the glory and the glamour of following Jesus. They see the healings, the miracles, the, 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 everything going on. Jesus walking on the water, the, the fish and the loaves of bread and feeding the, the 5,000. We see all this crazy stuff and everybody's like, I want to be a part of that. But Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is part of the ministry. But the other part of it is the, the birds have nests and the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And this week, what we're looking at in the context of Matthew chapter 11 is the invitation that Jesus has to relationship instead of religion. And the difference between those two things. Jesus is inviting us. He says, come to me all. Come to me, all of you. All of you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest for your soul. Let's read the text right here, and then we'll pray, and we are going to get into it. Verse 25 of chapter 11 in Matthew. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden It is light. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand your word in a way that just as we understand it and apply it, Lord, that it would just radically change our perception of you, the way that we engage you. Lord, I pray that it would just transform not only our lives, but the impact that we have on other people as they look to us and they see, they're looking at us, Lord, and they're wondering, what does it look like to walk with Jesus? And Lord, I pray that we would be an excellent example of that. So Lord, would you just remove the junk in our life that blocks people from seeing the amazing relationship that we have with you? And Lord, if we don't have an amazing relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you would take us into a place that is so incredible that we can't even ask, imagine, or think exists. Lord, we know that you have more 
than we've ever experienced so far. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in a way that is so plain that we understand it today and so powerful that we cannot help but change. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, have you ever been in a place where you don't feel like it's a fit for you? Or like you don't fit, right? Like this shirt. What would you think if I just wore shirts like this all the time? I kind of look gangster a little bit. I remember my, uh, my cousin, he came out to live with us when I was 10 and he was 17. And back then there was the, the FUBU jeans, F-U-B-U, for us, by us. I think that's what it was. And they, the big thing was the 48-inch bottoms. Some of you remember bell bottoms. You remember how ridiculous that looked? Have you ever seen clothes that don't fit somebody or shoes that don't fit somebody, right? When you go to the store, do you pick a size shoe that is totally uncomfortable for you? What do you pick? You pick something that fits you. And the reality is, is that God crafted each and every one of us. David says that he knit us and formed us in our mother's womb. Ephesians teaches us that he has prepared good works for us to walk in. He knew us before the foundation of the world. God knew you were not an accident. He created you with a specific purpose. He created you a certain size. Your shoe is a certain size. Your spirit is a certain way. You have certain gifts. You are completely unique and totally intentional by God. And there are things that fit who you are. First off, that you're made in the image of God. There are certain things that are becoming of you, and there are certain things that are unbecoming. There are certain things that fit, and there are certain things that are just ridiculous. What's fascinating, like with clothes and stuff, why is it that we end up in clothes that don't fit us? Usually, when I was growing up, we didn't have a whole lot. And so people would give us some different clothes. Did anybody else grow up like that? And the clothes sometimes wouldn't fit you, right? But you needed clothes. And so you wore them, and it was from this place of poverty that you ended up wearing these clothes. It's because you didn't have any other choice. And likewise, with our relationship with the Lord or with religion, what ends up happening is sometimes we go through life and we get caught up in these things that actually don't fit us. We get caught up in these movements where people tell us that, oh, well, you can't really communicate with God, but I can communicate with God for you. And so we end up as part of these churches and cults and movements where where we actually don't fit. It's not a good fit for us. And that's what we're really going to be looking at today in this text is that Jesus, it's not one size fits all, but it is that Jesus fits all perfectly. He fits each and every one of us perfectly. This is a reality we have to get into. And we can, sometimes we, we, I can't breathe right now. Hmm. You'll see why in a minute. (laughs) The suspense. Let's just break down the text. The context, we always have to have the context, right? Because nothing makes sense. It's just, it's, just a, it's just an idea that's out there unless we understand the whole train of thought that's going on. Now, all through Matthew chapter 11 here, Jesus is dealing with, um, he's dealing with John the Baptist, right? So it comes to pass in, John, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. Now, it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison, remember John is in prison now because he was standing for righteousness, about the works of Christ, the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, said to Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for another? 
Verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, as he goes through, Jesus lays out the fact, like, from Scripture. Hold on, let me get to my notes here. I'm sorry, I'm really excited this morning. (sighs) Jesus is pointing out throughout this whole chapter that the fulfillment of prophecy is right in their midst. John is in jail and he's worried. He's like, is Jesus, am I actually going to die for nothing or am I actually dying for righteousness sake? He wants to know that he has committed his life to something that he should not be ashamed of. He wants to know that everything that he's done has not been in vain. And so he sends some messengers to Jesus and he asks, Jesus, are you the real deal or not? And Jesus responds by quoting Isaiah 35 verses 5 and 6. In Isaiah, the prophecy of Jesus says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the death death shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. Oh, beautiful. Jesus is trying to intimate to the people here that the fulfillment of prophecy is right in their midst, but they're missing it. They're missing it. Then he asks, he says, what did you guys go out to see? He starts talking about John. He says, what did you go out to see in the desert, in the wilderness? You went out to see a prophet and more than a prophet. In fact, in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, he says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then Jesus goes on to rebuke the cities that that hadn't received him. He says, look, if the mighty works that I had done here were done in Sodom, does everybody remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Like fire from the sky, gone because they were so debaucherous. He said, if I had done these mighty works in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. But you are wise in your own opinion. You think you have it all figured out. The Pharisees, they had an agenda. The Pharisees were the, the religious rulers of the time, and they had God completely figured out. And Jesus is saying, uh, look, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. You don't have it all figured out. And that's, that brings us to where we're at right here in chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. What things? What things has he hidden from the wise and the prudent? The reality, the scripture becoming fulfilled, the prophecy being fulfilled right in their very eyes. He's hidden it from the wise and prudent, from the religious leaders of the day. He hid it. Like he was right there in plain sight. They could touch him, see him, feel him. That's what John talks about in 1 John. We've tasted Jesus. We know Jesus. We've touched him. We've hailed him. We've felt, felt him. I've had my head on his bosom. I know Jesus. He was right in front of me. We had an intimate relationship. He says, I thank you that you've hidden it from the wise and prudent Kind of think sarcastically here. But you've revealed it to babes. You know what? Some people are so dense. Do you remember in Luke chapter 16 um, with Lazarus and the rich man? The rich man dies and goes to Hades. And he says, will you just send Lazarus back to warn my brothers about hell? That they need to repent. And he's like, even if somebody comes back from the dead, nobody's going to believe them. We're so, we see the world as we want to see it. And that's why Isaiah says having eyes they won't see, having ears they won't hear. Our eyes have to be open. Our ears have to be open. And he says this in verse 26. Even so, Father, 
For so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. You got to catch this. No one knows the Father except the Son, and no one can come to the Father except through the Son. We see this in John chapter 14, verse 6, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Well, there's a reality, maybe not here, but maybe some of you have experienced it, where people will tell you that you can't talk directly to God. You have to go through me. There's whole religions around that where you have an extra mediator between you and God. There's people that tell you that you can't understand the word of God because that's for professionals. And Jesus here is saying that I am the only one who can introduce you to the Lord. I'm the only one who can introduce you to the Father. He is God. I'm the only one who can make that introduction. I'm the only one who can lead you there. No man can tell you whether you do or do not know the Father. People will tell you whether you are saved or not saved. I know I have friends that have stood before councils of people on an annual basis, and they tell them annually whether they're saved or not based on the works that they've done in the last year. Imagine having to come before me. Roy, I know it's been a hard year. Pretty sure you shouldn't die in the next six months because it's looking like fire. Okay, we can, we can kind of laugh about that, but I'm telling you right now, most of the world, the majority of the world is caught up in a belief system and a structure that is so oppressive, so destructive, so damning, that they're walking around. You think about the, the, the religion of Islam. They do their best and they go below themselves up and they still don't know. Still don't know if they're good enough. I think back to Elijah. Do you remember on Mount Carmel when Elijah is calling down fire? There's the prophets of Baal at that time. And they're trying to conjure their God. And it gets to the point where they're cutting themselves and they're hurting themselves, trying to get their God to do something. And you see it over and over again. And I'm telling you right now, when people get caught up in, in, this, in this uptight religiosity, this pharisaical nature, they're doing things that are so not a fit, not becoming for children of God. And I've watched it over and over again. I've watched people come to faith in Jesus and then they go back to the law and they become a slave to the law. These are things that happen. But Jesus, he says, he says look, no one knows the Father except the Son and no one can, no one can get to the Father except through the Son. The, the inference here is that man does not dictate our relationship with God. You know the folly of... Sta- and here, let me say this. I know there's, well, there's good intention within this, right? Like, we're to look out for each other, and we are to look at each other's fruit in each other's lives and be like, hey, Don, there's been some stuff going on in your life, I understand, but it's not becoming of a Christian. That's different than me looking at Don and saying, Don, this year you're not saved. There's a fundamental difference there. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, God says this. He says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God, he looks at the what? The heart. We have to be careful, and I'm not negating 
calling each other out on sin and when we see things in each other's life, God uses that to refine us and to shape us and to help us in our walk and to, to, to break those, those things. Sin is always separating us and he's, he's using those things. He's using people to remove those. But when we cross the line into dictating whether people are saved or are not saved, that's when we begin to heap heavy burdens on people. You know, everybody has different temperament and different personalities. Do you know how devastating, sometimes like offhanded comments, even by me, I devastate people just with little jokes because I'm kind of sarcastic sometimes, right? We have to be, and God refines those things over time. But when you dead serious look at somebody in the eye and tell them that God doesn't love them, I've seen it. I've counseled through it firsthand. This is not the Jesus of the Bible. Now, Jesus is full of grace and truth. That's what John 1.14 is beautiful, right? The word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's why I, when I read that, that's always been in my mind. Like I, That's where I came up with the, it doesn't matter what you've done, it matters what you do now, right? We see Jesus ministering to people and he's like, look, I don't condemn you. You are in sin, I, but go and sin no more. It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what you do now from this point. That's the grace of Jesus. The truth is he calls you out on your junk, but the grace of Jesus is that it's not fatal. It's not the end. Just because you have been doing something doesn't mean it has to keep on going on. You can quit it. You can walk away from it and you can walk into the new life that Jesus has for you. Behold, he makes all things new. You are a new creation. The former things, the old things have passed away. That's radical. Who else is going to liberate you from that? Not your wife. A lot of times she's bringing up stuff that's 15 years ago. You're like, what? (laughs) Jesus says he cast it as far as the east is from the west. It's gone. It's forgotten. You did what? I don't even remember that. Boom. Forgives you. Cleanses you. If if you confess your sin, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful not only to forgive us, but to cleanse us. To wash it away. The dirt is washed off of us and it goes down the drain and into the septic and out into the leach field and then some grass grows and the grass is greener out there because of it. That's what happens with Jesus. Jesus has an invitation. He says, no one, look look at this, this is awesome. He says, and no one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son and the one to whom the son wills, like wants to reveal him. Well, all of a sudden now, oh man, there's certain people that God doesn't want to be saved. That's just clear, right? Like some people are just less than us. That's a touchy subject. Well, some people would say yes. Some people would say no. But I want you to notice Jesus' words. Because when I read that at first, I'm like, well, because this is the Pharisee thing, right? It's like just some, some people are unsavable. Have you ever looked at somebody and you're like, they're just too far gone? I look back, I look around this room and I'm like, 50% of you. <laughs> Luckily, I'm not Jesus. But when I read that, he's like, oh, there seems like some, some exclusivity there, right? No one knows the Father except whoever that Jesus decides gets revealed to. So I'm like, okay, so maybe... Jesus is deciding, well, Linda gets to know the Lord, but Harold, I mean Harold. Um, right? But what does Jesus say right after this? He says, come to me, who? Say, do you know what that means in the Greek? It's actually really fascinating. All in the Greek means a few. 
No. What does all in the Greek mean? All. all. Come to me all. All who? All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All. This morning, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, um, I'm not sure about this Jesus, or maybe I'm too far gone for Jesus, or I'm not sure if I fit here. It's kind of like this loose shirt, right? Jesus wants all of us. Jesus is a fit for you. Like sometimes, have you ever heard somebody say, well, like, that's awesome that you have Jesus. It's just not for me. Has any, just by a show of hands, has anyone ever heard something like, that's great. Maybe I've even had, I even had people that weren't even Christians or anything say, maybe you should consider going to church when my life was a wreck. You know your life is bad when pagans are telling you to go to church. <laughs> that's a big deal. Come to me all. It's not, you see, when we look at the Bible, when we look at our faith as Christians, It is not one size fits all, like a mold that everybody just gets squeezed into and you have to change to get into it. But Jesus fits all people because all of us were created by God. It's not an accident that you have the quirks and the the things that you have. I mean, some of it, some of it just like, but I mean, the sin side of it, right? But I'm talking like, actually, people are born with these wonderful quirks that society says are terrible. Like some of us are born with these desires and we just love certain things. Like some people love to eat vegetables and you're just like, ugh. Right? That's weird. God bless your heart. (laughs) Jesus is a good fit for you. Maybe you haven't given your life to Jesus yet. Maybe you're skeptical about it. Maybe you think, yeah, it works for them and I'm glad it's worked out for them. But Jesus is a good fit for you. Has come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. Now, the insinuation of labor is stuff that you take upon yourself. Work that you take upon yourself. In other words, trying to become right with God in your own power. This, that's the context of what he's talking about. Trying to become right with God in your own power. And you just beat yourself up, right? You're like, man, I'm just never good enough. Oh, I just messed that up again. And, oh, how could God even love me? Does anybody ever have that? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. So there's two groups of people here. The heavy laden is the people that have had this, this, this weight stacked upon them, like in Matthew 23. Woe to you lawyers who, who, who load these people with heavy burdens and you don't even touch any of it with even a single finger. You tell people, this is all that you have to do to be right with God, but you don't even help them to be right with God. You tell them, oh, you got to read this. You have to do that. You should be praying six hours a day. I give 20% of everything I own to the poor. I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector or this woman or a dog. And we load people up with all of these things. These are the heavy, this is the heavy laden. It's things that have been set upon you. And I know some of you have come out of religious backgrounds where you've been heavy laden and you never feel like you're performing. You never feel like you measure up. You're trying to fit into this mold, right? You're trying to fit into this shirt and you're just like, look, this is a plus size shirt and I'm a dainty man. Dainty. I'm dainty. (laughs) Have you ever experienced that though? Well, think about it just in your own relation. I remember, I don't know if anybody else was like this, but I was a dork in high school. 
like a serious dork, and nobody, nobody liked me. Nobody liked me until I started throwing big parties and stuff, um, and then they came, and I don't want to deviate from the subject here. The point is, I would do all sorts of things that weren't becoming and didn't fit me. Like, I didn't even want to do them, but I think Brandon even shared this a couple weeks ago. You're doing these things to try and fit in. Like, we're always trying to fit in. I love Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, that we have been accepted in the beloved. We have been accepted in Jesus. We've been accepted. Like, all our lives, we work for acceptance. And the worst thing is when we're trying to work for acceptance within the church. The church should be the most accepting place in the world, where if you come and you're in love with Jesus, man, you are part of this family. You're my brother. You're my sister. We have intimacy. We're close. We love each other. You don't have to work to fit in in this church. That's crazy. You don't have to change your, you don't have to change your behavior and who you are, that God, the good stuff that God made you. The junk needs to stay at the door, hopefully. But those good things, man, your personality, your wit, your funny, good, edifying sarcasm, it's welcome. Your smile, your frown, like the things that you're going through. Look, it's not for perfect people here. We're accepted not by what we've done. We're accepted because of what Jesus did. And it's over and we're accepted by him. Come to me. I fit you. I fit you. Jesus is a good fit. Now, I'm not saying that just arbitrarily. We're going to get to that in just a moment here. He says this, Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you, I will, not I might give you rest. I'm going to give you rest. Anybody in here ever hiked up a mountain and you're just dumping sweat? Or done anything strenuous physically? Has anybody ever done anything strenuous physically in here before? <laughs> to the point where it feels really good to go, <sighs> Have you ever had a day where you just get home and you're like, I, have you ever had a day you're just like, I cannot wait to get in my bed? Yeah, yeah. Every day. I'm noticing, not that I'm old, but the older I get, every day I get more and more tired. There's got to be a fix for that. If you come to him, he says, I will give you rest. There's nothing as sweet as rest. I think of Psalm 23 and verse 2. He will lead me beside still waters. He'll make me to lie down in green pastures. He'll make me. God, if we're following God, this is one of the things, you know, sometimes we get caught up, especially in our culture, like we got to work, 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 work. Other cultures, they don't work at all. They're like the laziest people on earth. They're they're professional resters. In America, we're professional workers, uh, most of us anyway. But when we follow God, one of the things, one of the places God will lead us to is green pastures and still waters. He makes us to lie down in green pastures, and he leads us beside still waters. He gives us rest for our soul. If you're not resting some in your life, you're not following Jesus. Let me tell you that. You might be following Jesus in a lot of areas, but you're not fully following Jesus if you're not resting at times. Because if you're following Jesus, Jesus will lead you to times of rest. So if you're neglecting times of rest, you're neglecting walking with the Lord in its fullness. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. We all know what a yoke is, right? When you yoke two oxen together, you get them together, and there's like this crossbar, and then you have the, the two shumaflachis, and then you put the ox in the humudaki, and then they pull together, right? Pulling the dumaflachi behind them. That's what a yoke is. He says, Take my, we're all yoked with something. You're yoked with a job, you're yoked with a spouse, you're yoked with a girlfriend. Sorry. Didn't mean to look at you while I said it. 
We're all yoked with something. We're all yoked with something. Jesus says, yoke yourself with me. We yoke ourselves with business partners. We yoke ourselves with all sorts of responsibilities. How many times do we take on something even though God's not even asking us to do it, but we're like, I guess it has to be done and they're pressuring me into it and somebody asked me, so I have to do it because I just, I can't say no to anybody. How often do we get yoked into that and it's uncomfortable and you're just like, man, I can't even, this does not fit me. This does not fit me. It's rubbing me wrong. Have you ever put shoes on that are too small and you're getting blisters, right? That's what happens when we do things that aren't a fit for us, the way that God created us and designed us. Especially things that aren't becoming of our nature. We are designed in the image of God. And sin, sin will always rub us and leave marks. It never fits us well. It might be enjoyable for a season. You're like uh, Cinderella's stepsister that sticks her foot in the shoe and you're like, oh, I'm a princess! <laughs> Yeah. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Now, the word for gentle there is used over in the Sermon on the Mount, that the meek shall inherit the earth. Meek. Now, that was actually, so meek, the word meek was a stumbling block for me coming to the faith. Did you know that? The word meek was. Because when I heard meek, the connotation I got in my head was weak. Does that make sense? The, the weak are going to inherit the earth? Okay. I love, um, have you ever listened to a guy, his name's Jordan Peterson. He started studying the Bible and ended up coming to the faith. He's a psychologist out of Canada. Dude's like probably the most brilliant mind on the planet right now, I think. Um, and a lot of people were asking me about him, so I started listening to him because he wasn't a believer at the time. And as he studied, he did this whole Bible study, like studying through the word of God. And one of the things that stumbled him was the word meek. He came to that and he was like, meekness. I always thought of that as weakness. And then he studied it more and he said this. He says, really, the whole heart in the culture at the time of this word meek was the idea of someone who has a sword and knows how to use it, but keeps it sheathed. That's way different. That's way different. Somebody who has a gun knows how to use it, but keeps it under control. The, the, the definition for meek is strength under control. Jesus says, I have strength under control and I am lowly in heart. The idea of lowly in heart is just a, a humility. We see this in Isaiah chapter 42, right? A bruised reed, Jesus won't break. A smoking flax, he won't put out. In other words, Jesus has every right, right? He is, he is all, full truth, he is full grace, he has every ability, he could call down legions of angels, he could turn you into ashes in a moment, he has the ability to destroy you, but he doesn't. Just because you're, you're a smoking flax, maybe your life is just going up in smoke right now, and you're just like, there's no way God can redeem any of this. He says, that smoking flax, I'm not going to put it out. I'm going to kindle that little, that little thing, that ember that was burning you down. I'm going to kindle it into a mighty flame, and it's going to turn into a forest fire, and I'm going to use you mightily in that way. God takes those little smoldering embers, and he turns them into raging forest fires that are impacting the world. God can do that with you. Maybe you just have this smoldering life that's not going anywhere. Maybe you're halfway broken. Maybe somebody left you. Maybe a spouse walked out of your life and you've got nothing going on. And you feel like your life is over and God's never going to use you going forward. And this was not the way that you ended your fairy tale. But it's not a fairy tale. Fair is for fairy tales, but we have faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. And it doesn't matter where you are. Jesus has a plan. I was telling a friend the other day, and I've used this before, but God is the blessed redeemer. He blesses what he can and he redeems the rest. Like there's stuff that we do well and there's stuff that we totally botch and God works through it 
all. He works all things together for good for those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. God has a purpose on your life. He does. And there's things that fit you and there's things that don't fit you. Now, here it is. He says this in verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why would you come to Jesus? Because his yoke is easy. Now, what does that word easy mean? That word easy, it's Christos in the Greek. Christos in the Greek. Um, It has the idea of well-fitting. My yoke is not just easy. My yoke is well-fitting. It's not too big. It's not too small. It's just right. Not too hot, not too cold. It's just right. It's like the Goldilocks yoke. It's well-fitting. Nothing else will fit you well other than Jesus's yoke. Now this Christos, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is Christos, that means gracious, it's translated gracious there. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. In Romans chapter 2 verse 4, it says this, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the Christos of God leads you to repentance? The goodness or the loving kindness of God is what leads you to repentance. So what is it that takes you and turns you from everything that you have been chasing and turns you towards the the Lord? It's the Christos of God, the easy yoke of God, the goodness of God, the graciousness of God. That's what turns you on a dime. It's nothing else. It's not somebody telling you that you're never going to be good enough and you're never going to measure up and you're this and you're that and your dad was a horse thief and you're a horse thief and your kids are going to be a horse thief and the apple doesn't fall far from a tree. Well, here's the deal. Is the apple fell really far from the tree with my parents. Because God took that apple and it fell right underneath the tree and he took that apple and he took it and he flew it to somewhere else. He planted it in different soil. That's what he does. It's the Christos. It's the graciousness, the goodness, the easy yoke of Jesus that makes us turn to him. That's why we see people when they get at their very bottom and they can't even lift their head anymore. They got so much weight. Maybe you got so much unforgiveness and bitterness and abuse in your past that you can't even lift your head anymore. The fact that you're here is even a miracle. Maybe you're watching online and that's just a miracle that you're even watching online because you're just laying in bed because you can't even get up. I've been, I haven't been as deep as some people, but I know what it is like to not want to get out of bed. Or to face the things that you want to face. That you have to face. And the crushing weight of that. Or everybody telling you that you're never going to measure up. I had people tell me so much. You are not as good as the other guy and you're never going to be as good as him. Man, that's that's just like crushing and defeating, isn't it? Or maybe it's like a mom, it's like, why can't you be more like your sister? Or maybe it's your husband saying, why can't you be more like my mom? Shame on you for that. (laughs) You need to be taken out behind the woodshed. (laughs) Or maybe you're saying to your husband, why can't you be more like that guy? And he's just beat down and down and Jesus says, come to me. Jesus is a fit for your life. Now, this is what I want to close with. There's a sloppy Jesus and there's a small Jesus. There's kind of, there's a lot of different Jesuses out there. But there's a sloppy Jesus and there's a small Jesus, right? There's a a sloppy Jesus. A sloppy Jesus 
tells you that it doesn't matter what you do, right? It's the culture saying, you know what, I'm a Christian, but I can, I can be all these different things. I can do whatever I want to do, and God doesn't care. You can sin as much as you want, and there'll be more grace for that. It doesn't matter if you sin. Jesus is good, but you know what? There's a lot of good stuff in other religions, too. And, you know, Jesus is good, but, like, basically all, if you just do more good than you do bad, every road leads to heaven. That's a sloppy Jesus, right? That Jesus does not fit you. That Jesus does not fit you, and it's easy to get sucked into that. There's the feel-good Jesus, that everything is good, and rainbows and butterflies, Jesus. That's a sloppy Jesus, and it doesn't fit you. It doesn't even look right, right? You get into it, and you know it's not. There's just something in you, and you just know it's not right. There's no absolutes with the sloppy Jesus. God is a God of truth. There's grace. There's grace for your errors, but he is a truthful God. There's, there are realities as well that no one gets to the Father except through the Son. That's a sloppy Jesus. We see a lot of sloppy Jesus. There has always been a lot of sloppy Jesus from the beginning of time. The licentiousness, meaning law, total lawlessness. Like I can just do whatever I want and I'm still going to, God's going to be okay with it all and he's going to bless it all. That's a sloppy Jesus. And that doesn't become us. It's a temptation to justify our sin. I see people, when they decide they want to leave their spouse, they go and they look for all these resources from people that just say, oh, you can do whatever you want. God doesn't care. Let me also say this, that divorce is not the unpardonable sin either. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. God says that he hates it, though. He hates it. It's terrible. There's a sloppy Jesus. But there's not only a sloppy Jesus. There's the Brandon I haven't been able to breathe this whole time. I'm trying not to show off my midriff too much, but I'm trying to make a point. Here's the thing with the small Jesus. Small Jesus doesn't do miracles. He did that 2,000 years ago. Does God still do the miraculous? It's... uh, I can't breathe. If I pass out, you know why now? I'm wearing a corset. You know what the Lord showed me, though, when I was wearing this shirt during worship? Was small, people that have a small Jesus, they believe that they have to micromanage everything. They have to micromanage the people around them. That God can't work those things out. That's a small Jesus, guys. A small Jesus is scared. People that have a small Jesus, they're scared of God doing new and crazy wild things. They're scared of being out of control. That's a small Jesus. And you know what the problem is with a small Jesus? Is the people that have a small Jesus, they're super uptight. And when you're uptight and you're wearing a small Jesus, you can't hardly breathe, right? Because you don't want to breathe wrong because they'll tell you you're breathing wrong. Oh, you're doing it all wrong. This is the way that it's done and it can only be this done this way. And I'm, a, I'm not going to use all the different people that do this but I can't stand them. They don't affect me. They affect, I watch as they affect other people and they make other people uptight and they tell them, well, Jesus is this way, this way, and this way and he can't move like that in your life and oh, he's not actually speaking to you and, and he can't actually do these miracles still and I'm telling you right now, if we disagree on this, we disagree on it. But I believe that God is just as miraculous and in the business of doing miracles today as he was 2,000 years ago because he was the same yesterday as he is today as he will be forever. He is not a small Jesus. And small Jesus looks ridiculous. If you get nothing out of this except for this, 
you always know, people won't say that it's a small Jesus, but if they don't believe that God can handle himself and that they have to, they have to step in and handle everything, they, they're control people. They have, they have control over absolutely everything. Nothing is ever out of their control. They, what, and maybe that's you. Maybe you have this situation. I thought somebody was sneaking up on me. <laughs> I don't know. That was weird. If you're always worried about things being out of control, God is in control, guys. God's in control of those who are in control. He's in control from the top to the bottom. The little bugs, the microscopic stuff, the atoms, God is upholding them all by the word of his power. He's in control of the biggest, the biggest leaders in the world. He is making, he put the mountains there. Like he's got, you look, you look all the way into the universe right now. It is crazy how many planets and stars and everything they're saying. They're, they're getting new imagery that's coming back with gazillions. I don't even know if that's a number, gazillions of stars. And every one of them has whole solar systems and because it's a star, so it would have a solar system has planets and everything else around it. Yet God created us and he put us here. If you don't think God, if you're worried about God not being in control, you have a small Jesus. And I would just challenge you to take that to the Lord. Because what happens with a small Jesus is you get so worked up and worried about all the little things that you can't even breathe. Like I can't breathe right now because it just, it just doesn't fit you because our Jesus, if you, and if you think you know everything about God, Paul says great is the mystery of godliness. Our God is still mysterious to us. Like, we're going to spend eternity understanding him more and more. He is not a small God. He is an unbelievable God, and he can meet unbelievable needs. He can do more than you can ask, imagine, or think. That's our God. We don't have a small Jesus, and a small Jesus does not fit you. So if anybody ever tries to rope you in and yoke you with a small Jesus, saying, you got to dress like this, you got to talk like this, you got to do this, and I'm not even sure if you're saved if you don't do that. I have friends that have told me about people locally and abroad that have told them that we are the one true church and everybody else that goes to church here isn't even Christian. You're like, that's, man, that guy's awesome. I just want to kiss his ring. He says, learn, Jesus says, learn from me. He's humble. You know what he says earlier in Matthew 11? He says, the kingdom up until now, the kingdom of God has suffered violence and it's been taken by violent men. Jesus is, stands in contrast to that. Violent men, they want control. They want power. They want it their way. They want people to do exactly what they say, and they have their own agenda. Jesus, he's meek. He has all the power in the world, but it's under control. He's going to lift you up. He's going to push you higher. A servant is the one who's down on their knees washing your feet. That's our Jesus, cleaning off our dirt. We should be worshiping us, but he, we should be worshiping him, but he gets down on his knees and he lifts us up. It's a beautiful thing. Don't fall for a small Jesus, guys. Yoke yourself. You were built not for a sloppy Jesus, not for a small Jesus. We were built in my shirt. <sighs> Sorry about my boxers. I didn't see those sticking out. See how much better that fits? You're just like, ah. We don't have to accept another Jesus, right? The poverty situation we were talking about earlier, like you grow up and you have to just wear whatever clothes somebody gives to you. Jesus has come to me. I'm a perfect fit for you. And I want to give anybody in here an opportunity, if Brandon wants to come back up here in the team. Maybe you haven't come to Jesus. 
That's like a come to Jesus meeting. Look, life is, life is not, life is not good without Jesus. I'm telling you right now, because I had everything I could ever have before Jesus. Charlotte and I were making almost $300,000 a year on average before Jesus. We don't make anywhere near that now. We make like $48,000 a year. We made $300,000 a year before Jesus, and we were absolutely miserable. We did everything. Even Solomon talks about it in Ecclesiastes. If I saw something, I grabbed it. It's like Bono when he says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? I've done this, I've done that, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And the reality is you can have the entire world and you're never going to be satisfied. Jesus says, come to me, take my yoke upon you. You will find rest for your soul. He says, I came to give life and to give it abundantly. Jesus is inviting you to that. And all you have to do is believe in Jesus. Confess that he is Lord with your mouth. That, what that means is that you're saying, you know what, I've been leading my own life. Now, Jesus, I want you to lead my life. You're the Lord of my life. I mean, he's going to direct you. He's going to take you to places that you never even imagined before. You, what, what you have to do is you have to say, I'm not in control of my life anymore. I want you to lead my life. When we come to Jesus, that's what we're saying. We're saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you now instead of my own ways, my own desires, my own knowledge. I'm not leaning on any of that anymore. I want to follow you wherever you're going. I want to go there and I want to see all that you have. I'm coming to you right now. If you confess Jesus to be Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart that he defeated death, the thing that you have to face and that you can't defeat, he defeated it and beat it. If you believe that, you will be saved. And I want to give anybody an opportunity in here. Look, most of us in here have done it, but if there's anybody in here who needs to come to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity right now just to stand right where you are and just say, I'm coming, Jesus. Anybody in here, anybody want to give their life to Jesus this morning? Anybody need to stand right now and just dedicate their life. Jesus is inviting you to life and life abundantly. And if you don't pursue it, you're missing out on everything that Jesus has for you. You're missing out on the life of your dreams by not following Jesus. Is there anybody that wants to give their life to Jesus this morning? We want to celebrate with you. Anybody? Praise the Lord back there. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody want to come to Jesus? Are you tired? Are you beat down? Are you worked over? Does anybody want to come to Jesus? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Can, can you lay hands on her up there? Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are a fit for all of us. Lord, protect us from getting roped into and yoked up with things that don't fit us. You have so much more for us, Lord. And I pray that you would just pour your spirit out as we worship you right now. I pray over Carla, Lord, that you would just do mighty things in her life. I pray that you would strengthen her, that you would protect her, that you would be a husband to her and a companion to her. Lord, I pray that you would do mighty things through her life. Lord, I pray that you would just reveal to her that her best days are not behind her, but they are ahead of her still. And I pray, Lord, that you give her strength to run into those next days. I pray that you would just breathe life into my sister and I pray that you'd breathe into all of us, Lord. Give us rest for our souls and give us strength. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.